Hey, Taco Tuesday fans, this is Christian Brindle. And I am Glenn Shelton. We came together and they combined our forces to create something special for insurance agents called Taco Tuesday. Let's talk about insurance. My company, Christian Brindle Insurance Services, and my company, Lead Heroes, is here to bring you the latest and greatest news happening in the insurance industry today and eat some tacos while we do it. If you enjoy the content that we put out on this podcast, feel free to leave us a review or subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Without further ado, let's get into this episode of Taco Tuesday. About it, but this damn oh, there he is. Ah, I say, where at it to get it to work? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Taco Tuesday. Let's talk about it, guys. We have a great tour, Well, I just I was holding that up for fun, Eric. You don't have to hold your mic to your face, but to each their own, <laughs> guys. We have a special guest today, Eric Fierro. You know what, Eric? I was just thinking about today. The last time we did a live stream with you, I had my active case of COVID going on. Um, yes, ooh, here we are. I'm a survivor. As so is am I. Eric, all of us. We've all had all COVID. We're all post COVID, guys. Survivor. Survivor. Antibodies. Now we antibodies. have massive antibodies. Yeah, antibodies, baby. COVID, let's go. That's right. That's and, right. Um, all right, guys. So Glenn doesn't have his Red Bull this week because he's he's babying out on me. Right? He's he's, he's babying out on me. And so I got to pick up slack. Water. Eric, bring him the HQO, baby. Bye-bye, COVID. Pure I love that. So season three, this is our unofficial sponsor, by the way. Cheers, that's true. Taco Tuesday brought to you by Red Bull, Pure Life, and Oregon, <laughs> and the state of Oregon. Brought to you by Oregon. <laughs> um, gentlemen, it's been a little while since we had Eric on the show. So Eric, welcome back. We're really happy to have you back. Yes. Um, and I, I really think that the audience gets tired of me and Glenn week after week after week. So it's good to have another face in here because... I don't know. The, the, the two of us together, bad things end up happening. Well, especially someone with beautiful hair since Christian's bald. I'm just about at Christian's bald level. Hence the hat <laughs> wearing here, you guys. But Eric's just got enough saving. hair back there. He might be able to cut it off and make, you know, toupees. Make wigs. For the, yeah, make a wig or a toupee. I would love a good looking toupee. Maybe for Vegas. I'd buy one. I'd buy Maybe one. I'd want to buy one of hair, hair toupees. It'll yeah, be like baby. fashion. What are you wearing today? <laughs> I would throw an affiliate link to that in my YouTube channel description. There That's you go. Money making. <laughs> Guys, look at that. We've been, we've been live for about two and a half minutes. Brand new stream of revenue for both Eric and for Christian. <laughs> <laughs> developed right here on taco tuesday guys that's what happens here on on this podcast on the live stream new streams of revenue just money it's a money making show essentially that's really what we do guys so yeah, that's right i love right. it magic happening people people say that disney world or disneyland is the happiest place on earth really taco tuesday is the happiest place on earth from a virtual perspective <laughs> from a virtual perspective <laughs> Yes, I'm scared yes, to see you, you with that whole. Rep. 
I'm scared to see what Christian turns into after he drinks that whole Red Bull. <laughs> We're gonna learn today, um, guys. We have we have a really awesome line of um, topics that we want to get into with Eric. I know, you know, Eric. I know you only got so much time today, so we want to be respectful of your time and make sure we get as much um, great conversation in as possible. But one thing that you and I were talking about, kind of off camera, that I thought would be a really important thing to talk about was, you know. I see, I'm seeing a lot of people in our space today really have, you know, this mentality that, hey, you know, and I wanted to ask you this because of, you know, your expertise in the CRM game nowadays, right? With, you know, everything you're doing with DFY. And um, there's so many people in our space that are like, hey, I'm, I'm needing my FMO to provide me my CRM. And I am of the opinion, and I think, I think you are as well, and I'm sure Glennon is what well, is as well. But please don't um, please don't assume my opinion. Thank you, Christian. Just wanted to say that real fast. Oh my god! Don't assume my gender. <laughs> no, just. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's so many agents these days that are like, hey, you know, this FMO over here or this FMO over there, you know, they're providing me a free CRM. Maybe it's a go high level. Maybe it's something else. And. um I'm of the opinion that that's actually a detriment to the agent. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it, that why an agent is better off just paying for their own CRM and maybe the importance of investing in the business and having that control. Yeah. You know, it's, let's be honest. If you've been in the game long enough, everybody goes into it with, you know, rose colored glasses, hoping that the relationship with the FMO will last forever. They make this one choice and this one choice is going to last them the rest of their career. But, I've seen it time and time again. I've been in the on the senior insurance side 16 years. I served on the FMO side for 12 years. And even for the best of us, we don't keep every agent that decides to recruit with us, right? We don't keep every agent that comes into our hierarchy. And that includes you. I mean, every, Christian Brindle is one of the best dudes I know. But I guarantee you that some of the agents who you feel you have a strong relationship with right now eventually might decide to go a different route, right? And so... I always tell agents that if you're going to get into this business, it's important for you to be in charge of your own tools. You want to make it so that when that time happens, if that happens, that you're going to have to switch hierarchies, there's no interruption to your business, right? If your tools are reliant on who your FMO is, then it makes it more difficult to continue your flow of business in the event that you need to move hierarchies. So I always tell agents, it's important for you guys to make sure you're in control of your tools. Yes, that means you're going to invest, but that goes back to the whole idea of if I'm a business, if this is a business, what, what, do you, what else do you expect? You got to invest in stuff. If you're out there, like I've honestly never seen it anywhere else where people come and they pick up to me too. I'm not even an FMO. I don't recruit anybody, like, but they'll come to me and be like, hey, I'm new in this game. I'm new to this business. Can you give me access for free? for X amount of time. Like, do you think a bar owner goes and says, Hey, can you get me a license to sell alcohol for the first 30 days at no cost because I'm just starting or <laughs> a retail shop? Trial. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't happen. It's nowhere else, but I've but this insurance industry where I see this mentality has developed where people just want stuff for free and they're not approaching it correctly. We are a business. If you're an independent agent, you are a business. You shouldn't be reliant on your upline for your tools. and The things that you should look for 
when you're looking to an upline and what they provide you is they should provide you support and they should provide you accessibility. I want to know that if I'm in the field writing business and I have an issue that comes along that there's some, as, and again, this is along, along the lines of still being, but if I'm out in the field and I need to call my agency to say, Hey, I ran across this weird situation. What can I do here? That somebody at the, at the FMO or the upline that I'm working with can answer and help me out. That's accessibility. And then support. If, if I'm having an issue getting something pushed through or it's been stuck in underwriting for a long time, my calls aren't doing anything. My upline should know who exactly they can call to move that app along and get it pushed through. That is the job of the FMO. That's how we earn our overrides as FMOs is through support and accessibility. All the other stuff is fluff. And I just think that personally, when it comes to tools, you should be in charge of your own tools. You should be investing in your own tools. And that way you have the best amount of control in the event that, you know, you have to move hierarchies. One thing that one, one thing that comes to mind is like, picture this, guys. Picture you're a brand new agent and you go all in with your FMO. You're using their tools. You're, they're, you, you're using their CRM where they have complete control. Let's say you get to a point where you have, I don't know, 600, 600 clients, 700 clients, something like that. And something goes wrong with the FMO or maybe you outgrow what they're able to provide you. You need a different level, a different layer of support at that point in your career. And you go in a different direction with it. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way, you can't, you know, you left us. This is our CRM. This is our records. This is our data. And boom, like, you know, that, that's, that's a real thing that can happen. I'm not saying that every single organization that's mainly providing FM, you know, uh, CRMs to their agents and it would necessarily not let you port your data, but they could if they wanted to, right? Like they control it at the end of the day. You're giving another person control over your bottom line of your business. And that's always scared the hell out of me. I, I mean, the DF, DFY is 97 bucks a month. If you want to make hundreds of thousands of dollars, are you going to let a $97 a month investment stop you from being able to do that? Well, it's wild too about, again, like, not even include like obviously DFY is ninety seven dollars a month. There's other systems that are going to be a little different pricing, but the bottom line is, one application would cover three months of utilizing this technology and having access to a CRM. So I don't understand when agents and I hear it all the time. I literally hear it all the time. I just heard it yesterday from an agent who told me they felt like the CRM they were paying for was just they weren't getting the value out and i'm and you know to each their own but the reality is if you can't do one extra application over 90 days utilizing that type of technology like dfy something's wrong you guys something's going on you you need to absolutely be taking advantage of what's available it's wild it's mind-blowing it 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 does and it goes back to the, the the real issue at hand is not the tools it's the person that you can be provided the scripts that you need the flow that you need the tools that you need but you still need to be the one who's executing and the reason that i like to work with agents who understand that they need to invest in themselves is because normally when you're investing in yourself when you put up that money you're going to utilize whatever it is you're learning you're going to utilize whatever tools you're 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 paying for because you know that you have to make something of it. You have to get that return on investment. 
but the people who ask for things for free, not just systems, but also for leads. I think that that's a cancer when you go asking for leads for free, because again, you create a dependency and you don't want that in a business In a business. You don't want to create dependencies because then if you're again, if your FMO just decides to cut you off and you never really understood where to go and buy leads or how to generate leads or anything like that, you're in a very difficult position that you weren't expecting. And I, I just think that, again, it does really come down to the people who aren't making it in the business majority of the time. It's just because the work ethic isn't there, even though they have access to pretty much everything they need now on the interwebs. Right. I mean, you can get access to training through Christian's university, through my university. There's access to the leads Glenn. that you need from Glenn. Glenn, you, yeah. you have a university, Glenn? Uh, I mean, I do have a training course. It's not as robust as I think, you know, what you and Christian have, but tons of free content as well on the website, you know, over 40 different blog articles that go into sales strategies and techniques. It went, I want to, this is kind of something I, I want to talk about really fast while we're on the topic though, is this mindset that agents have with spending money where they don't see the ROI from it. They don't understand the ROI from it. They just view it as an expense. I don't want the DFI, DFY CRM because that's $100. $100, I could go to the bar and you know, me and my wife could have a really nice meal for $100. Why would I waste that on a CRM? That's the mindset I'm hearing from agents. Why, why don't they get it, Eric? And, and again, Christian, I want to ask that to you too. Why is it that all of these agents are thinking, if I spend this money, it's just money leaving my hands and it's, it's essentially just a waste? You know, I, why, I personally, why good question. I, I, love, I love this question because this, this is the answer. The answer is that the person you're describing has a consumer's mindset. They do not have an investor's mindset. An investor's mindset understands that you have to put in money to make money, to make a return, but also that something else has to be done on the back end. The consumer's mindset looks at everything as bills and never looks at anything as an investment into their business that's going to help them grow, whether it be personally or from or in their business or agency. They just look at everything as a bill. And and that's that's a that's a that's a consumer's mindset. That's where people 100%. are gonna fail. Hundred yeah. percent. Christian, what do you think? Hundred percent. I mean, Eric took the words right out of my mouth. Like yeah. that. Um, I think so many people are used to trading their time for money in the 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 environment of a job or a career. To where, when they get paid, the only thing they're going to use their money for is paying their bills, saving their money, whatever the case might be. There's there there's never a conversation that needs to be had with these people when they're working for someone or they have a job that's like, hey if you want to continue to work here, we need you to pay for this or pay for that. If you want to keep this income stream coming in or whatever the case might be, it's just not something that comes across their, their radar. It's not something that happens in that world. So when they go into a world where they're self-employed, they're working for themselves. They don't have anybody that they can work for that kind of fills the entrepreneurial shoes. Right. And they take care of everything with the business. Um, they're just not used to that, right? They, they're thinking like an employee, not an employer. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes from. You think, you know, it, it, there's a lot of agents that I have to be honest with and say, for what you're asking of right now, again, you're looking for somebody who can provide you the leads you need, who can provide you the tools you need, and, and you have no money 
to be able to do it yourself, you have two options. Option number one is you get a second job so that you can afford to do this stuff that you want to do and become a, the, the, the boss you always look to be. Or option number two is that if you really want to still be in this industry and you want to build up some cheese so that you can eventually go off on your own, then join some of the great organizations that are out there where you can basically be provided everything you need, but there's going to be some give in return. You're going to have to you know, give up on, on certain commissions and monies that you would normally get as an independent. But it's still worth it because you're going to learn from great agencies if you hook up with a great one. You're going to learn from some great agencies on how to sell the right way, how to make those consistent dials, the discipline you need. Because ultimately, like these systems mean nothing if there's no discipline behind it. You need mm-hmm. to take action and you need to make sure it's consistent action. So that's, my, that's always my advice to people. I have to be honest. I don't think you're ready to be independent yet. I think you should be hooking up with an LOA shop. And I think that's that's a really important conversation that hardly anyone in our business and in our industry is having with people on a day-to-day basis, right? How many people are just like trying to grow their agent numbers when they're recruiters, right? They're trying to get warm bodies <laughs> and yeah. not capable bodies, right? right? <clears throat> and it's it's crazy. I mean, there's so many people that I'll encounter on a day-to-day basis in our business that you know, you have a 15 to 20 minute conversation with them. And and the thought goes through my mind that like, hey, you probably should be captive. You should be LOA. You know, I don't know if the best thing for you is to be independent. And there's no shame in that. Right. There's not it's not a bad thing to be an LOA. And like Eric said, to be working with a great organization like um, Christian Brindle. Ooh. There we go. I think I mean, I know several people that are part of LOA shops that make $250,000 a year. Sure. You know, they make more than a majority of independents do. Um, They make more sales than a majority of independents do because they're in a great environment and they have a great structure there that they can tap into. So I don't think, I, I, I think, I wish more people would have that conversation with agents. I think the problem is a lot of agents probably would take it offensively. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I'm just thinking in my head when I'm talking to agents, and there's so many who fit this category that you guys are talking about where genuinely they should not be independent, right? And I've talked about this on the show before you guys on Taco Tuesday, how when I first came into the industry I and I, and I was transitioning from the agency I was at to becoming an independent agent, I was like full on war against LOA deals, you know, contracts, anybody running an LOA shop. I was always like, oh, you're getting screwed. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't sign up as an LOA, but the reality is now that I've been in the industry this long, there's a lot of agents, if not potentially the majority of insurance agents who should be LOA, especially to start because they don't understand what they don't know. And and a lot of it is really business expertise. You know, a basic understanding of business is what a lot of agents are missing. You know, Eric mentioned an investor mindset. Running your own business, a lot of times at start, you're doing it at a loss. You're spending money before you're even making money. And I think a lot of agents come in and they put the cart in front of the horse and they don't understand some of these, you know, simple business practices. Becoming an agent at an LOA shop, let someone else handle the business for you, you guys, and just sell insurance. Just get paid, whether that's a salary or a commission or a combination of both sit back, learn the, learn the insurance world, take your time, 
And, and honestly, for a lot of you, it might be the right move to just stay as an LOA agent because you don't want the responsibility of owning the business. You don't want the responsibility of payroll, of making all those expense payments. You know, it's it's a, it's a conversation that it's self-awareness. It's a, it's a conversation that the agent really has to have with themselves. We could yeah. bring it up. Eric could could attack the agent, right? I can attack the agent on the phone. Well, what do you mean you can't spend a hundred bucks a month? You probably shouldn't even be an independent agent. But it kind of, it, I don't think it's going to be received. I don't think it will be right. received. Come on, Glenn. I would be a lot nicer in my approach, <laughs> yes. right? I wouldn't be like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> but here, here's, here's the other thing. You know who I am? Don't you know who I am? I'm Eric Bleepin' Fierro, bro. I'm Eric Fierro. What are you saying? But, but I think the other cool thing we have right now in this industry is that if you want to go the LOA route, you could always pop into six-figure Medicare agent. You could pop into Medicare mentors, and you could just ask, hey, I'm looking at this LOA opportunity with this organization. Is there any feedback? And a lot of times you'll be able to get feedback. Now, sure. there's probably going to be those agents out there who are like, don't go LOA. Are you crazy? Like, you're going right. to lose out on all your full commitment. Like, no, no, that's, they're, they're not giving the right advice. But hopefully there'll be others who say, you know what? I'll be one of them who will hop in and say, you know what, if you're making this decision, it's because you've already analyzed the pros and cons of both. And here's my opinion on this organization, because I know a lot of organizations out there that are offering LOA opportunities. And I could tell you whether they're good or not. Christian knows. Glenn knows. We hear of them all the time. We see of them all the time. Hell, we're probably friends with a lot of the people. Who opportunities. So it's a great place to go and ask and get some advice from others without feeling like, you know, because what I don't want someone to do is to watch this podcast and immediately just join any LOA opportunity they see. I think you need to vet <laughs> right. it. And that's why, you know, use these yeah. groups to try to do that. Mileage will vary. I, I do want to really fast. I want to explain if there's a brand new agent listening to this, whether it's a replay or you're watching live, LOA stands for line of authority. It means that the commission that the insurance carrier is paying for the application, they're paying it to the agency. They're not paying it to the individual agent. So if you become an LOA agent, you're agreeing to sell insurance and you're allowing the agency to collect the commission. And then there's an agreement between you and the agency for them to pay you. And that can look, like I said, or, or you know, previously, it, it can look in a variety of different ways. It can be a salary. It can be 100% commission. It can be a combination of both. It can be a, a bonus, an hourly pay. I mean, just really depends. That's why Eric was saying, you want to vet it, mileage can vary quite a bit. You want to vet these opportunities. Some of them might be better than others, uh, but I do want to make that clear because again, when I was a new agent, I had no idea. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand. I barely understood broker versus captive agent, let alone this idea of LOA versus independent agent. So, just wanted to clarify that, Christian. What I'm sorry to cut you off. Well, and I wanted to ask Christian real quick. Oh, yeah. What do you think, Christian? That someone who is joining an LOA opportunity. What should they expect would be a good place to join to make first year in terms of uh, income? What should their first year look like? What should their second and third year look like? That's a great question. That is a really good question. So the way, the, the way that I would look at it is I think there's really two models is you can join hey, a call you, center. Can you talk a little closer to your mic, Christian? Yeah. Yeah. Is that better? Do not, yes, there you do go. not talk to the Brindle that way. <laughs> Christian? Mr. Brindle, <laughs> get closer to your bleeping mic. Get closer to the mic. 
I, I don't want the YouTube video replay to get demonetized, guys. So we got to keep this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what you usually see is you'll see like there's call centers, right? And those like, and a lot of times you'll see those. The most commonly seen is those big call centers, right? The Go Health, the Select Quotes, companies like that. And usually, I think that they might pay a higher per hour basis, but the commission is much lower, right? Than maybe. A, a traditional LOA shop. So like with other places, I've seen them, they'll maybe pay a base salary of like 30, 40 grand a year or something like that. And they might pay us a, a one-time commission, or maybe they might pay a percentage of commission, maybe a percentage of renewals. There's so many different types of LOA shops, but I would say, um, I, I think, I think, you know, if, if you're an LOA and you're in a good shop, I think you could probably, I think if you have a good opportunity and there's a compensation structure that has a potential for growth, I think you could make maybe six figures in your first year, maybe second year, potentially, if it's a good organization, right? Probably more realistically, second, third year, something like that. I know with our LOA structure right now, we pay a percentage of renewals. Um, I'm not, I won't go into like the specifics of the numbers or anything like that, but we pay a base salary, a percentage of commission and a percentage of renewals. So there's the ability for the LOA to kind of grow a clientele under our umbrella. And that kind of incentivizes them to take care of the client, provide good service, but also to stay with us for a long time. So where can I, where can I apply? Come on down. Come on down. You got to move to Utah, bro. You got to move to Utah. Yeah, you good old Utah. Get get on that mountain standard time again. (laughs) MST, the worst time zone. MST. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I finally found someone that's on MST time zone. And then like two weeks later, gone. Not not anymore. I love that neither of you knew what was going on with that. You're like, what? (laughs) What? What? Wait, what? Eric's on my time now. (laughs) <laughs> he took me back standard that's right <laughs> i did take you back <laughs> eric i have a question for you that i wanted to ask so when i came into the business as a new agent what i was what i was doing was i was learning from my dad right and i was learning a lot of old school ways of kind of building the business i've i've I don't do differently. I don't do business at all the same way i did when i first came in but when i first came in i was doing a lot of cold calling knocking on doors direct. Now I just didn't really know any other way of doing business. Now that we have such high automation in our, in my business right now, I don't know what I'd do without it. Right. It just makes life so much easier. Do you think somebody can grow a really successful agency in the 2020s without automating? I'm not going to say no, because there's always going to be, the exception to the rule. But I do believe that as time goes on, we become more and more technical how we do everything. In fact, they have like a word now for insure tech is what they call it, right? Where you're mixing insurance and technology together. So do I think that somebody out there who's successful, uh, sure, but the majority of them, are going to greatly benefit from utilizing technology in their agencies today, especially when you have platforms like the one I'm offering where you get to basically have as much of it as turnkey as possible so that your learning curve is normally ginormous with some type with, with when you, when you have a platform that's this advanced, the learning curve is huge. 
And I greatly reduce that learning curve in the way it's been designed so that you can hop in and get going and start working as quickly as possible. I always tell people when they join, like I have a three-step process to get you up and running within a matter of a couple of hours, as long as you have leads ready to work. And, uh, and really it can be that simple. You don't have to learn the entire system inside out before you get started. You just got to take baby steps. You just got to start by doing a little bit and then grow from there. And trust me, it will make a huge difference. So I just, again, address my opinion on this question, because I was thinking about literally this exact topic today. You know, I run a virtual call center. I've been doing that for almost a decade, you guys. And the longest time I've been hammering this with everyone, like it's all telesales. It's all tell. This is going virtual. You guys We're going virtual. And then the pandemic hit and that accelerated it a lot. I will say, though, I think the pendulum will swing back a little bit in the sense that there will be seniors who want a face to face interaction. There will be seniors who like the brick and mortar option where they can strut right down to Christian Brindle Insurance Services and sit in his office and see that beautiful bald head of his and <laughs> sign up right there. You know, I so I I, I am 100 percent on Eric's team. I think you're crazy if you don't utilize technology, but I do think that there can be some benefit to a hybrid model. You know, maybe you're taking some walk-ins, maybe, you know, you have some appointments coming in the office, but overall I do think technology is, is going to beat out any sort of traditional well, prospecting. And I think that, you know, I mean, brick and mortars just as much as uh, telecenters are in need of the same automations. I mean, the whole idea of automations is to relieve yourself of a lot of the mundane tasks that you would normally be in charge of, a lot of the administrative tasks that you would normally be in charge of. So whether you're seeing your clients face-to-face -face or not, you can still utilize automations in your life to make your agency grow because the more time that you can get back from, from the administrative tasks that you would normally do, the more time you can focus on growing because now you're doing the actual income generating activities, which is sales. So I think it doesn't matter if you're a brick and mortar or if you're telesales, either one is going gonna, is gonna to greatly benefit from having systems in place to help you uh, automate. That's a great point. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter how you conduct your business. There's always automations you can take advantage of. Touch points, right? Sending out emails, sending out physical cards. Um, all of those things apply to no matter how you're selling. Um, you know, my big three, you guys eliminate you know if you're doing an inventory on your your tasks first is getting rid of tasks that aren't are not important then automating as many of those tasks as you can and then finally delegating you know hiring an admin delegating to another agent that's that's kind of my three-step process of trying to really clean things up from freeing up your time like eric just said i love it i i, I love the Auto, and I think as much automation as you can really do is, is going to be a good thing. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I know for us, you know, we doubled in revenue in 2020 as an agency and we came close in 2021 to doubling, but we didn't quite. Um, but I think those two years, what really helped us grow was doing things a lot smarter, right? Like before that, 
I'll give you an example. Like we were hand um, folding and mailing birthday letters to clients every single month. It wasn't me doing it, but there was staff members of mine doing it. Right. And there were so many more important things I could be having them do than that. <laughs> right? Like there's like a hundred and thousand things that I could probably have them doing that's probably more important right. than folding envelopes, folding letters, putting them in envelopes. What um, a waste of time. Right. I think what I don't think we've talked about this before on the on the podcast, Glenn, but I don't think I think probably 95% of insurance agents don't understand what an hour of their time is worth. Yep. hundred percent. I, I totally agree. Eric, what would you say the average insurance agent's hour is worth dollar wise? Or, or if you want to do in Bitcoin, that's fine. <laughs> you know, however you want to. Well, yeah. So, so one of the, one of the easy ways that you can figure this out, especially if you're just getting started, you know, because yeah. you don't really have a, you don't have a lot to go off of, but just, you know, what you can kind of look at is if in a given week, look at how many leads you work and how many sales you get out of it. And if you determine how many sales on average you're getting per day, and then what that value of that sale is, that's what you're worth. That's what you're worth, you know, so that you know what you're making per day and then divvy that, divvy that up. And your whole goal is to keep increasing that value over time. So if in the beginning, you know, you make one sale every couple of days and you're getting paid 400 bucks for that sale, uh, so now you, that means that, you know, each you're basically making 200 bucks a day. And then, uh, and so if you divvy that up, divide it by eight, I don't have a calculator. Somebody could do that in your own heads, but you know, you can figure out what you're, what you're technically worth per hour at that given time. But as things progress and you start making more sales per day and you start seeing the residual income coming in, because once the residual starts building, that's also now going to be included into what your cost per hour is going to be. Um, you sure. really quickly get a sense for, holy crap, I shouldn't be doing this $10 an hour task when I'm, my time is worth 100 bucks an hour. Yes, that times a million. I want yep. to clip that out and run it as an ad. That's how much I like. That's how much I like what you just said right there. Why am I doing a ten dollar an hour task when I when my time is worth a hundred dollars an hour? Yeah, it, it's insanity. And yet agents are doing it hand over fist, day after day. And even when I'm begging them, even when I'm giving them a virtual assistant for free, they still won't take it. It's wild. I just talked to someone yesterday. And they said that they were at a point where they're spending almost 20 hours a week doing customer service work inside their agency. Whew. I'm like 20 hours a week. There. That means that's almost, I mean, that's half your month. You're spending half your <laughs> month doing basic admin customer service. And, and it still was hard to, hard to twist the mindset around of, well, why would I pay someone? You know, it's like, that's an expense. Why would I start paying thousands of dollars a month to have someone else come in and do this? What's your time worth? What's your time worth? I yes. love it. Yes. I think sometimes they also, they, they think that that's part of the process. Like if they give up the customer service side, that control, because it's a real thing too. There's oh, yeah. a lot of control freaks out there. I'm one of them that it's hard it's hard to let go and to delegate because you feel like nobody is really able to do it the way you want it done and uh and that is that's the hardest part to let go of but once you do the freedom that you get from that is enormous and and well worth well worth the investment you know christian you have several staff right 
mm-hmm. internally there at, at your office. Was it hard for you to, to, to start letting go and delegating? Was that a hard process for you? It, it was immensely difficult for me um, because I was that agent for a couple of years that was spending 20 hours a week on customer service. Right. Maybe some weeks more. Now, I don't work a 40-hour work week. I never have. I probably was working 60-hour work weeks or 70-hour work weeks or something like that. But um, So I was still being able to sell a lot, but I was probably spending 20, 30 hours a week on customer service, right. like chasing down claims and you know the whole yeah. nine yards. Right. I got to a point where there was where an AUP. Ca- I need a new card, Christian. I can't <laughs> find my Medicare supplement I'm, card. And I'm on the phone with... And I'm on the phone with Mutual of Omaha ordering them a new card for an hour, you know. I know you are. <laughs> but but I did that for a long time and I I'll, I'll give him I'll give him some love even though we don't talk about him much on this podcast. Um it, I think it was 2017. I re-signed up with medicareagenttraining.com, Chris Westfall's site. Mm-hmm. And at the time he was doing and I did it to get a CSG quota. That's the only reason I did it. Um, cause back then you couldn't get it for free with your FMO. Very few places were doing it, but, um, and to get it on your own, it was like a hundred bucks a month. So I signed up right. for that and he did a, um, this was before I knew Eric, before I knew anybody else in the space, um, before I knew Glenn and he did a, he was doing this thing where he would do a free one-on-one coaching with you for an hour on zoom. If you were a new enrollee into his thing. And so I did it with him and one thing, and so I was talking to him about my struggles. I was like, I don't have enough hours in the day. I don't, you know, and he said, he basically said to me, he's like, you have to hire somebody. He's like, your business is not going to grow um, nearly quick enough that you need it to if you don't hire somebody. And for me, it was the control, but it was also when you hire a staff member, you're paying, you're basically taking on a monthly expense that's equivalent to a lot of people's mortgage. Yeah. Right. That's um, great. Yes. Yes, so, you are. So that's that's um, a mental was, shift you have to you have to. Was that get your out. was that your jump off point? That conversation you had when when he told you that that's when you were yeah. like, oh oh shit, I really do need to do this. I knew I did. I knew I I knew I needed it before I went on right. the call. It was just an extra right. push. Um, yeah. And after that, then then things started to get ugly between the two of us, but <laughs> we'll get into that. But, um, <laughs> but, but that's for hey, another, that's for another taco yeah, about it. But, but I'll give him credit for that because I needed that push and it was helpful for me. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a scary thing for a lot of people, especially like, let's say you're, let's say you have, I don't know if you're making less than $10,000 a month in your business, taking on an employee is probably going to be kind of scary. Right. Especially yeah. if you have family, kids, yeah, that's a lot. you know, spouse, like you have a lot of expenses as is. And you can't I mean, you're taking somebody on. It's a permanent monthly expense. And that's the mentality that people need to get past, because it's not an expense. It's an investment into your business. You're getting hours and hours and hours of your time back to focus on income producing activities. And people don't see that. They just see the expense. Um, mm-hmm. And the fear, I think, prevents people from hiring staff, even if they desperately need it. Yeah. Yes. Totally agree. I wish I hired somebody sooner than I did. Um, so let's segue. Oh. Let's do it. Oh, sorry. I had a lag on my let's end. Go. But, uh, no, let's do it. Topic. I'm ready. Hit me. Let's go. Let's go. 
Hold on, guys. Sorry. My thing's catching up. Mr. Fierro. You guys continue to discuss, though. You and your your 5G. Mr. Fierro is, is... Booted in, you guys, live in the in the car. He's traveling. I feel like you're. It feels like we're talking to Gary V. You know, like he's so busy. He's so busy, you guys. Like we're lucky to get him while he's driving. Like that's. It's, I love it. I love it. Oh, you're I did. Hey, okay. Next time, I'm back. I'm back. Right, I, I did. You're coming back in and out. Yeah, I think well, and I think that I'm gonna drop right now because I'm about to enter a parking garage, guys. That's not good. No. Yeah, so <laughs> hurry. What's the topic? Hurry. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> but no, I didn't. I didn't. Honestly, I didn't want to miss this conversation. Uh, I, I wanted to make sure that I was on it. So even though I knew that I'd be on the road traveling to 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 to, to, to something else, I wanted to still be on here. The 5G worked for me as much as possible. I got a new iPhone. I upgraded. So. I've been on the 5G and it's worked the majority of the it way. This good. was the first time that I had a that I had a major interruption there. But but I I want to again I I I love you guys. I love working with you guys. I love what you guys are all about. I, I you guys offer uh, tremendous value in our marketplace, and it's uh, like I said, it's it to me it's an honor to be friends with you guys, to be able to uh, be able to chat with you guys and discuss with like minded people about what we what we see in our industry and how to improve our industry. So uh, to that, I just want to say, you know, I'm going to have to sign off, but I want to make sure and tell you guys how much I uh, appreciate everything you guys do. And uh, I can't wait to continue to go down this journey with you guys. Hey, we appreciate your time today, Eric. Thanks for jumping on with us. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Um, You're always welcome on the show and you you know, the feelings mutual, you know, it's all mutual. I love, love you more you. than Christian loves you. I hope that's clear. <laughs> but yes, it's mutual. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, we look for. I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. And everybody else, thank you for for tuning in and listening to uh, a few knuckleheads chat about life. Talk to you guys right. soon. I right, see, you, Eric. Good luck, see you, Eric. See. Right, see. You. So, also, what do you? What what do you think? Should we should we do final thoughts or should we keep the conversation going? What I'm do down. Think? I'm down to keep talking for a bit. If talking, let's keep talking. Let's talk going. Oh. Let's keep tacoing. We're live. Tacoing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, also, guys, really fast, I did want to plug the summit. As Eric's leaving us here, he's frozen in time. I'm gonna right kick now. him off. I'm gonna kick, kick him off because it just looks. Look at that face. He's just staring at, at us. Eric, we love you, Eric. You're God. Eric will there be at, there we go. Sorry, Eric. We're back. Um, <laughs> Eric will be at the summit, you guys, the six-figure Medicare agent summit. Mr. Brindle will be hosting. Tony Merwin, who's been in the comments today, is emceeing. That's happening June 10th and 11th this year. That's about three months from today. It's actually less than three months from today now, which is wild. It's going to be yeah. an amazing event, though. I'd love to meet as many of you guys as possible. Christian and I are going to do a live Taco Tuesday to start the event off. We're going to stream it. If you can't be at the event, you got to watch this live stream. It's going to be legendary. Christian, what should we talk about next? Man, um, there's so many things that I think go with that topic. Um, so I wanted to ask you the same question about hiring, right? Because you obviously yeah. employ a lot more people than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Talk about that, right? Because like, I know your story, 
you know, with kind of, you know, going from the captive side to the independent side, selling final expense right. for the most part. And you originally hired your first telemarketer to generate leads for yourself. Was that a scary thing? It, it was. And the, and the thing I struggled with the most was the idea or this concept of hiring a remote worker. Right. Um, initially, I remember thinking like, how could I know that they're even working or they're doing their job? And the bottom line when I first, I'm like, it's either going to work or it won't work. I can cut them off fast if it doesn't work. If, I, if it's a horrible thing after a couple of days or a couple of weeks, cut my losses and move on. So it was, you know, it's a bit of a gamble to start. I think the reason it was easier for me was because I had hired appointment setters before I even got into the, the telemarketing or making outbound dials, the lead generation. When I was working direct mail leads, I got to a point where I hired a couple of different appointment setters to just, again, I'm trying to free up my time, focus on selling. I, I saved 10 to 20 hours a week of appointment setting time. Um, and and that was that was kind of my entry point into hiring someone to help me generate revenue. And so after I saw it, were, and again, it, it, it varied in, in success. Sometimes there were weeks where it worked really well. I was busy all week. The appointments were great. Then there's other weeks where I didn't have the sort of appointments I wanted, or I didn't make the sales I wanted. And then I'm losing money because I'm paying the appointment center on top of it. So, you know, again, it's, it's kind of this up and down thing, but I think that's why it was an easy transition for me because I went from trying out different appointment setters to, well, let's try hiring someone full time to make calls. And then it's like, well, that worked. Let's see if we can hire another person <laughs> and replicate that. And now, you know, hundred, 130 people later, here we are. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think hiring somebody is something that so many agents need to do, right? Like I, I, people always ask how many clients should I have, right? Before I hire my first staff member, what I, what I've come to the conclusion of, and I've gone back and forth on it. And I know we've talked about it on Taco Tuesday, probably a bunch over the past couple of years. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, would I feel say, like we've talked about it. When we're talking about these topics now, I'm like, wait, we did we talk about this? It's like we've talked about, talked about everything. We've talked about everything, um, But I, I think that the answer that I've come to kind of like, I've gone back and forth, but I think the best answer that I've kind of the conclusion on is as soon as you can afford somebody, I think you should, number one. And number two, as soon as you find yourself getting sucked away from doing what you need to do to bring revenue into your business, right? As soon as you find yourself getting pulled away from that consistently, and as soon as you can afford um, to pay somebody, I think the combination of those two things is when you should bring somebody into your business. I, I, I heard someone say one time that you shouldn't do it before you have 700 clients. That's madness to me. That is craziness That's to me. Totally I don't crazy. see how, I don't see how someone gets to 700 clients. I mean, I'm, I know that someone's going to come out of the word works and say, Christian, I have 700 clients and I don't have well, the guy I talked again, there's an agent I literally talked to yesterday and he said he was coming up on year 10 and, and I don't know the exact number of clients he has. I know he said it was more than 500 because our, our form, when, when you fill out to talk to me about virtual assistants, that's one of the questions. So it's more than 500 clients been in the industry almost 10 years, does not have an assistant. He is yeah. doing all of it himself. It's got to be close to a thousand clients. It's insane. It's insane. Okay. To me. 
So let's let's dissect that for a second, right? So let's say he has 900 clients, okay. right? And he's been in the business for 10 years. Let's say you're keeping 95%, right? So 5% are falling off. 90%, say 10% fall off. Okay, yeah, let's say, let's say 10% fall yeah. off. 90%. So, I mean, what, a quarter million in renewals? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. What is that? Is um, that a quarter million? That's my rough back of hand math. For 10% of a thousand clients, 10% would be a hundred clients. So it's probably, well, no, it's probably more like nine, 900 clients. Nine, 900 clients is, hang on. Yeah, that's like 300K a year in renewals, right? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. You're right. Um, so yeah, that's. So why wouldn't you spend 50 grand a year to have someone come in and, and clear your plate? I don't get it. This this is where I would go with this, right? So, and yeah. I have people that come do coaching with me and they're in that realm, right? Maybe they have 700 clients, maybe they have 800, maybe they have 900. And I'm like, this is such an easy solution. I'm like, you, right. I know you have the capital to pay somebody, at least, at least right. one person. Um, but think about... So if you have 900 clients, I'm going somewhere with this, and yeah, you've been in the right. business 10 years, you're writing, that means you're writing on average 90 a year. But let's say you're losing 10% a year. So maybe you're writing 100 and you're keeping 90, right? right? If you hired somebody, is that standing in the way of you writing 200 a year? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think by not hiring someone, it is standing in the way of you writing more business, right? Yeah. So like plus that fall off percentage. I mean, that's a big thing, right? Is retention. Yeah. Everyone's talking about retention. Well, what yeah. if you minimize that 10? What if you cut that 10% in half? That that retention rate alone, going from 10% loss to five, because you have someone who's staring at your clients all day, making sure they stay on the books. That's another way of justifying the cost, right? I mean, there's a lot of different oh, ways. There's a lot of different ways that you can justify the cost writing more business, keeping more business on the books. And then if you have that type of money, if you're making 200 to 300 K a year, what about the value of your personal time? What about being able to take time off for family or personal mm -hmm. time for yourself? That's extremely valuable. And having your assistant cover your day to day. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And on. <laughs> yeah. I Trust me. Yeah. I care. <laughs> It's so, it's such valid points because what I think about is like, if you have a thousand, if you have 900 clients, a thousand clients, whatever, whatever it is, I'm dying after oh, COVID, um, heard, COVID heard you talking big yeah, game. It's like, I'm back, I'm back, baby. <laughs> I'm back, baby. I'm back. Um, I'm back. But, but if you have 900 clients or a thousand clients after 10 years in the business, that tells me that you you know how to write, you know how to produce, right, like right? You know how to build the business, but you're spending too much time doing other things yep. in your business other than writing business. Like you're probably spending a, a lot of time re retaining customer service, all that stuff. Um, and I'm sure you can only automate so much, right? Like, right. So you could be maybe maybe this guy is a fantastic automation expert, and he just has all these things automated in his business, but you could probably have 2000 clients, maybe 3000 clients. If you're just an individual producer, if you hired somebody after maybe let's say four or five years, instead yeah. of not hiring anybody after 10. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing with this too, cause I know we, I, I talk about it personally, just as much as we've talked about it publicly, 
there's never like a perfect time to hire someone. It's not like there's, it's not like you hit 199 clients and then it's like, okay, time to, you know, like it's going to be, it's kind of like having a kid. Like, yeah, it's great to have a kid. There's never like a perfect time where it's like, okay, time to have a kid. Like you just kind of got to do it. You got to kind of jump in, figure it out and just do it. I don't know if that's a great great analogy or not. It's, 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 I think it's a great analogy. I had somebody text me today who's known me since I was a kid right? Like a friend of mine, since we were like seven or eight years old, we've known each other that long. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. He sees my billboard today. Shoots me a text. He's like, Hey, I just saw you on the, on the state street on the billboard. I'm like, he's like, and he's like, nice going. You look awesome. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh God. I'm like, so, but we're texting back and forth, just catching up. He's like, how's life? And I'm he's like, any kids? I'm like, yeah, almost a three-year-old. I'm like you. And he's like, He's like, no, not yet. I'm like, I'm like, take your time, bro. Because like, no rush, dude. And because yeah. he's a couple of years younger than me. And, um, but I think it's a great analogy with that because, you know, no matter when you have a kid, you have two moments of your life. I think two, two time frames. you have before child BC, BC. and after, after. child AC. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just two complete different lifestyles, you know, trajectories, what your life looks like. I mean, you have more kids than I do. So you know that like, um, but I think it's, it's true. It's one of those things that like, you're never, it's never great timing. You're never a hundred percent ready. And it reigns true. I think as well with hiring somebody, there's, it's never the perfect time. You're never a hundred percent ready. You're always going to feel a little bit nervous about it. Right. Um, but I think you just got to take the plunge we talked a lot about staffing on the show and, and I'm obviously biased and that's a big focus of my business at lead heroes, but there's a couple of things. I have some things I wanted to talk to you personally about, but I figured okay. I could, I figured I could just bring it up now. Right. Why not yeah. include the whole world in our personal conversations? Right. I'm ready. I'm ready. One of them, one of them I'm going to have to um, do some black lining on, on names. Cause we're obviously we don't want to name names, um, but there's, there's two topics. So I'll, I'll pick one and then we'll jump into the other one here. So the first one is a major call center owner texted me today. And let me, let me back up for a second. I hear this from, from Medicare agents and call centers and agency owners is that the future's bright. Um, I have to, you know, some people have even said, I have to wear sunglasses. The future's so bright. <laughs> You might, you might've heard that one before. What's your um, yeah. You may, you may have heard that from someone before. Um, but this call center owner. So, so again, there's, and, and I am a big believer. I think there's a plenty of clients for everyone, but specifically the call center space. So this, this call center owner, this is a huge call center. And, and I got a text today from him and he said, wow, I think there's a huge saturation of Medicare call centers right now. Whoa. And they're, yeah. And they, you know, there's, there's some more reasoning I could get into, but I don't want to identify this person. So I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. Um, and, it, and it got me thinking about last AEP. What happened last AEP? Saturation. Thatcher, we saw it. We saw yeah. it on the marketing. We saw it on the sales. Almost oh. every single agency owner I talked to, brick and mortar call center, they saw less sales overall. Yeah. And it, and now that I'm getting this text today, I'm like, are are we entering 
saturate? Are we seeing saturation in the marketplace? That's a great question. Um, I think we are in a lot of types of marketing, right? Because what I saw during AEP last year was more direct mail pieces than I've ever seen. An unprecedented number of mail pieces hitting people's mailboxes compared to normal. Yep. What does that do for everybody? Lower right. response rates. Right. Um, see more Facebook advertising, more TV commercials, more social media advertising of all different kinds, more robocalls than yeah. ever. My dad was was texting me voicemails at least a couple times a week that he was getting on his cell phone. My dad's 68, for those of you who don't know. Um, and they're all just like these horribly, I mean, they were, they were, some of them were ugly. You're like, they're like, you have three days to take advantage of this Medicare opportunity. Otherwise that you lose the opportunity. It's off the table. And it's like October, like 20th or something like that. I'm like, and so, so like some of them are just slimy and ugly and sure. things like that. But um, I mean, we found that the leads we were calling weren't answering the phone as much. Um, I think that they're certainly starting to look like there's saturation in the marketing side. Um, I don't know. I, I, what do you think about it? Um, I, don't, I, I thought it would take longer to get to where we're at. I think that's part of the surprise. I, I didn't, it's not necessarily that I thought we would never get there, but I'm, I'm a little surprised to see the level of saturation. I think, again, I think COVID accelerated it. I think the pandemic drove these call centers. <coughs> the call center model is a revenue heavy model. It is a business model that you have to spend a lot on marketing. So the pandemic shifting a lot of these face-to-face -face agents and agencies to virtual. And even though the pandemic's subsiding significantly at this point, I think that I think that's where we we saw the saturation. So yeah. I guess the question, it's not so much that we're here to debate about whether it's saturated. It is saturated to some degree, and, and maybe it'll ebb and flow. Maybe we won't see the same type of saturation. My personal opinion is I think it's going to, I think this AEP will be even worse than last AEP. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be even more marketing going out than historically has ever been spent on marketing, phone calls, mail, email, you know, paid ads on on youtube facebook social media all of it i think you're going to see a historic level of, of marketing spent for medicare that you've never seen before it's going to be wild that would be my guess so if that's the case let's assume that's true what do you do as an agency owner christian what are you going to do if if you believe that to be true whether that is or not remains to be seen but what do you what do you do to combat that if if we're entering a historic level of market saturation how do you how do you differentiate yourself from everybody else? I think for ninety nine point nine percent of agencies, you can't compete from a, from a uh, spending perspective. You just right. can't. You're gonna get you're gonna get buried, right? There's real money that's getting pushed into the marketplace on the advertising. Hundreds account. of millions of dollars. Yeah, hundreds of millions. And I don't. And someone might watch this and they'd be like, "Well, I I made nine hundred grand last year. I got I'm like, no, right. like." You, no. I mean, and I'm not saying don't market. I'm not right. saying don't spend money. Do that. But I think a huge focus of your approach, if it hasn't been before, and I know it, I know we're shifting into this mode more than we ever have before because I haven't really liked it that much in the past. It's just not been my favorite way to do business. But I yeah. think doing events, seminars, those kind of things is going to be important. I think, I think 
doing things face to face, I think is a way to combat that because 100%. it's something that, that the, the client can get from you on a local level. If you're a brick and mortar agent um, that they can't get from these big call centers, no matter what. The level of service is going to be unmatched. And I think that's how you combat it. I think you shift more into that. um, And I don't think the answer is shifting more into spending, right? I mean, maybe you want to, maybe you need to spend more than you used to, but I think you need to really push to do things that um, a, a giant corporation can't do or won't do. Right. I mean, that's, that's one thing, right? One thing is, okay, if I double my spend, even though I'm generating less leads or I'm generating less clients, I can increase the amount of money that I personally spend. That's one thing. But the flip side is, you know, what if, what if that's not an option, right? What if you're a newer agent? What if your agency is small? You know, what if you don't have the ability to increase your spend to try to offset some of these losses that you're going to start seeing or that lower response rate? You know, my my honestly, when I got that text today and I'm, I'm thinking immediately, like, how could this be combat? My thought was to immediately start marketing something completely different. Dental insurance, vision insurance, hear, you know, hearing insurance, like the hearing aid, however, the, the dental vision hearing, right? Any, any piece of that you could market individually and then get into the dental vision hearing and then cross sell the Medicare. You still talk about the Medicare cancer insurance. Um, I think if you led with a product that historically people don't market, and I, I would love to know if there's some um, like industry stats on marketing, you know, what'd be great to know is in, and maybe someone watching this can like drop a link if they have it, but I'd love to know like industry stats on different ancillary products and the, in the typical marketing dollars that goes behind it and maybe pick something that's not super saturated or competitive right now. I, I if you compared cancer insurance marketing dollars annually versus Medicare <laughs> market, I mean, you're talking about probably a hundred yeah, it's probably like a hundred times more yeah. that's being spent on Medicare. So it's like, I, it's almost. I don't. I, I feel like that might be a great way to to increase your response rate and get more people, you know, in your pipeline. I, I don't know. What do you think? I it what what it makes me think of is recently we had a local event for agents, right? Yeah. Um, that you know about, right? One of the people that came out to it that I had a pretty good long conversation with and I met was essentially a dinosaur. And I don't mean this, that he was old. I'm not saying he was old. Right. He was like probably in his 40s. But the way he did business was archaic. Right. Right. But he was effective. And I was fascinated by this guy. Um, We exchanged contact information, everything. I wanted to keep in touch with this guy because essentially what he was doing was he's a captive agent for a company that I've never heard of, a carrier, not an agency, a carrier. So he could only sell their products. He was leading with cancer insurance for one. Okay. They had a Medicare supplement product, but that, but he was leading with cancer insurance. Their approach was to have him drop him into neighborhoods in about 10 states, and they would pay to fly him around, literally. Wow. They drop wow. him in different neighborhoods, and he's cold knocking. I think I, I bet I, I bet I know what, what uh, agency this is. It's, it's a, it was a carrier. It wasn't, he wasn't like with an agency. 
was with a comp like an insurance company and I, that Does one that I never with heard. I, I don't even remember okay I never mind I, I was thinking it was some, someone different all right anyways <laughs> but I I was just and and I was like I was like you're flying around I'm like why don't you sell policies over the phone in these states that's what I asked him that was one of the right. first things that came out of right. my mouth he's like he's like the company I work for won't let me I was like they won't let you but they'll pay to fly you around to cold door knocks yes. for cancer. Yes. And it's effective. The guy had. How did he do? Yeah. I mean, what sort of results is he seeing? He's been, he's 10 years in with this company. And I think he said some, I think he, I think he said he had a couple thousand policies on the books. That's with everything. MedSup, cancer products. Like the company had a lot of ancillary products and they would lead with cancer insurance and he would get into doors, people of all ages, and sell cancer insurance. That's what he would lead with. And um, what that tells me is people have so far shifted away from that type of pound the pavement mentality. And I'm not saying that everyone out there should go, you know, drop into neighborhoods right. in Colorado right. one week and then Utah right. another week and then Texas another. I'm not saying that's what you do. <laughs> but I think there's so few people doing that these days because everybody's shifted to the digital, to right, the virtual, the, model. the telephonic. That somebody comes to your door, they're like, "Oh, we haven't had a visitor in 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 years, honey. Come on in, you know." Like <laughs> we've got I don't some know. coffee brewing. Come on in, yeah. yeah. People might not actually be pissed off about it because they're like, "Oh, we have a visitor." Everybody yeah. talks to us on a across a screen these days. We don't ever have visitors. Um, it was so fascinating to me that in 2022 that was effective it's it's kind of like people saying cold calling's dead it's like getting in front of people like however you do it like as long as you're actually getting in front of someone and talking to them that that'll work right like even yeah. if it seems unconventional like cold door knocking or cold calling it would absolutely work as long as you're having those conversations that you want to have but he led with cancer insurance specifically Always. And so, and, and if he happened to knock on someone's door, he knew nothing about the people. Like it was like, it was like, I don't know if it was random neighborhoods, if there was a certain, I, I don't know all the details, but it seemed pretty random to me that he didn't know anything about where he was going. Um, but if it happened to be a senior citizen household, he would lead with cancer. And then once he did the, 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 the objective was clearly cancer. MedSup was a secondary focus if they were a senior. Makes sense. And and most of the time, these cancer policies go down to like, what, age 40, age 30? Is there even an age cutoff? You probably go down to what? what what's the minimum age-wise? I, I don't even know if there is an age minimum. I don't know if there is a minimum. Because so like I, I have a cancer policy on me, Stormy, and Violet. And uh -huh. I put it on. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. I knew it. And I put it on us when Violet was like a year old. Yeah, it's smart. So with Galen, them, I just shout out to Galen Hendricks. She absolutely sold me on cancer insurance. Me too. The stuff that she's promoted, uh, you know, incredible, incredible stuff that she's put out there. You guys, if you don't know Galen Hendricks, you should. Yep. The queen of the bundle, the bundle being cancer insurance, as well as, you know, final expense, dental vision, hearing, et cetera. I mean, she loves the bundle and I love it too. Um, but tell us while we, while we're on topic, I'd love to hear more about your personal policy that you have. I don't have cancer insurance personally. I should probably get some though. So I don't pay much for it. 
I think I'm paying like $19 and some change every month. I want to say that our policy has like a $25,000 payout for all for for per per, per individual, right? So 25,000 for me, 25,000 for Stormy, 25,000 for Violet, which is more than enough because we have regular insurance as well. Um, So that's what we have. I originally got it because we had a national general short-term medical policy that didn't cover cancer. And it scared the hell out of me. I probably needed more like a hundred (laughs) thousand in coverage with that, but now we have ACA. So that's not a problem anymore, but um, yeah, I mean, I've had it. It doesn't, I mean, as far as I know, I don't think it goes up in price. I think it's like based on the price you bought it at. Um, Yeah. I mean, 20, $20 a month for that's $240 a year. If you you paid that for 10 years you know you're still talking about that's 10 percent of the benefit value mm-hmm. <laughs> and statistically yeah. your chance of getting cancer is insanely high so from a gambling perspective if we're looking at the odds here it seems like a pretty pretty great policy to have you know yeah i mean it was i mean i I'm so heavily insured and I'm, and I'm, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, you're probably overinsured, <laughs> probably overinsured at this point. I got too much, I'm paying too much premiums every month. Like <laughs> I, I, I had a hundred, I did a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy on me until I was 25 and I was like hundred thousand ain't shit. And <laughs> I it with a million dollar policy and it's like a 20 year term. It's going to go till I'm like 45 or something like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I pay. I might, I might pay $25 a month for that. Maybe might be less. Um, my daughter's life insurance policy is two bucks a month for $10,000 final expense policy. Yeah. Um, Great value. I think uh, what's the lesson of this story, guys buy insurance at young ages. The younger oh, you oh. buy the cheaper it is. Yourself? <laughs> Over-insure yourself. Over-insure yourself. <laughs> But no, I think that's the key because that cancer premium, the cancer insurance premium that you're talking about, I'm assuming if you were 50 or 60 years old, it would be significantly more per month. Yeah, I think d- dramatically. It um, has to be. Especially like when you factor in, you know, like what will things cost when I'm 50? Right. You know, like with inflation. But like if I was writing to 50-year-old today, I think for that same policy for, for three people like that, let's say. Um, Got to be quadruple. At least. Maybe, maybe yeah. five times. Maybe it's 80, 70 to, it's probably even more. It's, it's got, it I would love to know that. It's got to be way more. I can, I can literally run a quote right now. Yeah, there we go. Yes. Now I want to know too. Okay. okay while, you're, while you're doing that, um, <laughs> because, you know, I want to be respectful of your time and, and we are going into overtime here. Yes. Um, <laughs> I want to talk quickly about the other topic. Again, this was something I wanted to talk to you about personally, and I'm not going to mention names, but there is an IMO slash FMO who I think is a great organization. Um, I've recommended agents to this organization before. And what's, what's kind of happened is that the owner of the organization has really removed themselves from the organization. They still own it. It's still 100% their company, to my understanding. But the day-to-day, they're not really involved in anymore. If you are an agent or an agency owner, and your IMO or FMO owner is no longer really involved, or they've taken kind of a backseat, 
They're letting middle management run the show. Does that affect your decision to stay with that upline? For me, uh, so it's interesting because, so for me, I've always worked with humongous FMOs, right? right? So when I'm working with the humongous FMOs, I'm not always dealing with the, 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 the owner, right? I might know the owner, right? You know, I might have a relationship with the owner, but it's not like they're helping me on the day to day. Usually I have a marketer, right? Right. Um, so if I, if I have my mark, if I have the marketer, the people that I, and, and, and their team, and you know, they're the people that I deal with the most, if I still have those people in a day to day and the process doesn't change very much, I don't see it as much of an issue. Um, but if it affects the culture and I'm getting less support internally, then I could see that being a real um, detriment for me. Yeah, I guess that, I mean, it's a valid point, right? Like the owner doesn't necessarily have to be, and obviously I'm a huge fan of outsourcing and scaling. And, you know, I have a lot of middle management at Lead Heroes to run the size of a company that I do. I can't be involved in, in every transaction or, you know, every message that comes in. So I understand that. I guess it's more of, if you're like a high level agency owner, you're doing a fair amount of business. And, and to have this understanding that, well, the owner of the company, my upline, the owner of, of the FMO mm-hmm. has really removed themselves for whatever reason. And I, I guess it kind of, it would make me a little nervous, right? Because it's Perfect. like, well, who's, who's really making some of these decisions? And then it, that might be unclear. Um, I, I think you want someone who can keep an eye on the ship and, and continue to steer despite, you know, how conditions change. And so that's really where my concern comes in when, when I heard this. Uh, again, from an agent that I work with is like, well, is it going to affect your success level as an agent or an agency owner? Probably not. But could it change, you know, the resources that are being offered to you by your upline? Could it change your ability to get certain contract levels down the road? I think there's a lot of like little things that could be affected if, if the owner is kind of like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, I've been working for 20 years. I'm going to take a bit of a backseat. I'm not retiring. I'm not delegating necessarily. I'm just kind of absent. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's a great point. I think if, if it causes the culture of the, cause I think, I think anybody that puts together a large FMO, they have put people in, in positions of management, right. All around them. They have departments of different things, right? And there's a department head and there's this and that. And um, so they might have structured everything to where the way they want to do business is is established. Um, And so I think it depends on the size of the FMO. That's kind of what I would say. I think if it's a a really large established FMO to where the pieces are in place like that and and the owner and the founder isn't needed, because they're because he essentially has cloned himself right with these different department heads and management right. figures, um, I think that they they probably could, you know, take a step out the back door 
you know, three or four days a week and people wouldn't notice, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I think if it's a smaller FMO, IMO, that the the founder is doing a lot of things on a day-to-day, it's problematic. I think it depends on the situation. True. There's kind of, there's a happy, there's a happy medium in there somewhere, right? Like you don't want, you don't want the owner to be like completely yeah. absent, but you also don't want that owner. That's like trying to literally get involved in every little piece. Cause that <laughs> yeah. can be equally detrimental, right? There's, yeah. You got to kind of find that medium balance. And we've had that too. You know, we've had that we've, we've worked with FMOs that, you know, would demand we send, con- we, we would send, um, applications to them and they would send it to the carrier yeah and i'd be like huh you know i'm like or you'll do what you know like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah what, are you, I, what are you gonna do yeah you're gonna you're gonna terminate my contract for giving you business yeah i don't think so you just you just <laughs> want to control me you just want to control us you know yeah, and but okay so my final thoughts on this episode is going to be this quote Let's hear it. Yeah, I want to know. I'm dying to know. My guess, if you're paying $20 a month for $25,000 at your age, I'm guessing it's five times. I'm so it's not, it's, it's not quite that much. Okay, here we go. Okay, so here's, an, here's a 50-year-old with a 50-year-old spouse and a child. Now, granted, I didn't put the age of the child in, so it can right. depend. Now, this is cancer only. It's about $73.50 a month. Is your policy cancer only? Yeah, my, my plan is just cancer. 73. That's not bad at all. That's not a bad price. Really, that's really reasonable. What if you're 60, though? Give me a, give me a decade up. Can you, okay. can you address that? I can. Okay, so let's put the birthday at 1962 for both mommy yeah. and daddy. Mommy and daddy. Getting old. And we're going to update. And a lot of people do cancer, heart attack, and stroke. I don't. Typically, I don't know. I just do cancer only because it's a lot cheaper, but I I really don't see the value in heart attack and stroke as much, I guess. Maybe I'm missing the boat there, but I think any Medicare product is going to do a good job there. Boom. Yeah. So there you go. So at at that, at 60, it is about five times. Yeah. Over five times. Yeah. hundred percent. All right, Glenn, final thoughts on this um, historic Taco Tuesday. It is. It is historic. I love that we're live. I love that we had Eric Fierro join us today. Um, guys, I think final thoughts for me. I really enjoyed the the structure of conversation around treating this like a business if you are an agent. Um, I think one of the biggest things lacking in our industry is some basic business knowledge and understanding and skills, accounting, you know, ROI spending money to make money, all, all of that. I mean, I think Eric, I loved when Eric said consumer mindset versus investor mindset. Yep. That is everything. Yeah. So that, that would be my final thoughts. You guys is get out of the consumer mindset and get into the investor mindset. I love that. What do you think? I love it. I love it. And, um, I think that's a great stopping place because I don't, I, I agree completely. I don't have anything to add. Um, boom. I would just, you know, I would just say, guys, as I add something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, That's it. Wait a second. One more. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I would say go back and watch this a second time because there's a lot of nuggets that were being dropped by everybody that was on here from Glenn, um, from Eric. And 
just about business in general that I think will help you guys because I think it takes a an understanding. I think it takes a certain mindset and mentality of uh, looking at things and about the way you look at money, the way you look at your time, the way you look yep. at investments. That is the biggest hurdle for a lot of agents that I think prevents their growth and their success. So I think yep. hopefully you guys learned something valuable from this. Love it. Till next Tuesday, you guys hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review if you're listening to the podcast. If you're watching this live or you're watching the replay, drop a comment on the video, you guys. We'd love to, to hear your thoughts or any questions you guys have. Until next Tuesday. Adios, guys. Keep eating tacos. Keep writing insurance. In and large volume. Large volume. Large volume.